0: Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. The Word of God for our consideration this morning comes to us from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at verse 26. He said, The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground, and while he sleeps and rises night and day, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. The ground produces fruit on its own, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head, When the crop is ready, he swings the sickle without delay because the harvest has come. Then he said, to what should we compare the kingdom of God or with what parable may we picture it? It is like a mustard seed which is sown on the ground, when sown on the ground is one of the smallest of all the seeds planted in the ground. Yet when it is planted, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest under its shade. With many similar parables, he continued to speak to them as much as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, but when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. This is the gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Your fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, who is both the sower and the seed. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? Goes the 18th century English nursery rhyme. It continues with something like silver bells and cockle shells or something. I don't know how up you are on your 18th century rhymes today, but uh, there's a controversy about who or what this rhyme is actually about. There are some who think it's about Mary, Queen of Scots, or Mary I of England, but that wouldn't make sense according to chronology. Uh, both of those Marys lived and reigned in the, in the 16th century, and this, this rhyme was written in the 18th century, so it wouldn't make much sense for it to be about either of them. It really doesn't matter. Uh, the reason I bring it up is because the question asked, how does your garden grow, gets us to the heart of our text for today. How does the kingdom of God grow? And the answer is quite contrary. Contrary to what we may think at first, that these are very simple parables and, and you can just skim them and, and then you got it. You understand it and you can, you can move on. These are not simple. These are not basic. They're not easy to understand. They don't make for good bumper stickers, Jesus' parables, don't they? They don't look good on a tweet either. They're challenging. And that's why Jesus told them. He wants you to stop and think about what he's telling you here. At the end of our text, Mark describes how and why Jesus made use of parables in his preaching and teaching. He says. With many similar parables, he continued to speak the word to them as much as they were able to hear. He did not speak to them without a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So to to the unbelievers in the crowds, Jesus only spoke in parables. To his believing disciples, then, he explained to them, he opened their eyes to understand what he meant by these parables. I was, I was able to take a, a seminary continuing education class a couple weeks ago on the parables. And one of the questions, the main questions that we have to ask just in approaching parables in general is, do, do they serve to conceal something or do they reveal something? And the answer is both. To, to those who have already hardened their hearts against the clear proclamation of the gospel, they conceal, they, they hide a truth about the kingdom of God, but... But to those whom the Holy Spirit has softened and created the spark of faith, parables serve to reveal something that would otherwise be hidden about the kingdom of God. So under the assumption that we are all believers here, the question asks is, what is Jesus trying to tell us? What, what hidden thing about the kingdom of God is Jesus relaying to us, revealing to us in these parables? Well, first, contrary to what we might think at first, there is much more to these parables than first meets your ear. In fact, you're not supposed to read these parables and think about something you can, something about the kingdom of God that you can see. Rather, it's something that you are to believe. Think of the first parable. The man scatters the seed on the ground and then what does he do? Goes about his daily business. He just... He just trusts that, that that seed that he's sown on the ground will grow. And it does grow. It grows automatically. In fact, the Greek word is our English word, automatically. It grows automatically. He doesn't have to do anything. He's not poking and prodding it. It grows all by itself. And in the second parable, the, with the mustard seed, there's no one sowing it at all, is there? We just have to believe that, that the smallest seed, one that if you if you sneezed, you could probably blow it right out of your hand and lose it forever, that that is going to go into one of the biggest bushes in the garden. That, that requires faith. That's not something that you can see. Second, contrary to what many people, even many Christians believe, while these parables do tell us, do describe how the kingdom of God grows, they are not a how-to growth, handbook. This is not about teaching us how to grow the church. That's what many people would read into this, and that's what many people would would believe, that if the church is going to grow, it's up to you and it's up to me. The first parable makes it clear, though, the man has nothing to do with it. All on its own, that seed grows and, and matures and bears fruit. And then the second one, again, there's there's no one sowing the seed. It's just talking about the seed. So the focus in both parables is not on what anyone does, especially not you and me, but rather on the power that is inherent in that seed. The seed contains everything it needs to grow. That's what the Lord is trying to tell us here about the kingdom of God. It's contrarian. The kingdom of God is contrarian. It's contrarian because it doesn't grow, it doesn't work the way we think everything else in the world works. In a way that makes sense to us. You know, there, there are principles of psychology and sociology and business that can be applied to most other areas of life to understand how they work. How, how did Amazon grow to be the biggest company or one of the biggest companies in the world? Well, they could probably tell you. We track everything you view on the internet. We, we, we give you ads that, that are guided specifically towards your interests. They could tell you that. But those principles do not work when it comes to the kingdom of God. Those principles will not help the kingdom of God grow. In fact, the kingdom of God often grows totally the opposite of, of our man-made logical principles. That comes out pretty clearly in the first parable again, right? The seed grows and the man, the sower, has no idea how. He does not know. And the the tense of that Greek verb, and I know you don't care about Greek verb tenses, but it's helpful to us when we're interpreting it, means that he doesn't know how it grows and he's never going to find out. He's never going to understand how that seed actually grows. All he sees is, is that he's putting a dead, what looks like a dead seed, into some dead looking ground, and a few weeks later, there's something there. There's something to be harvested. That tells us something about our understanding of how the church works, how the kingdom of God grows. It tells us that we're never going to understand it, and we shouldn't try. We shouldn't try to fit the kingdom of God, into a box of our own understanding, our own making, to make it align with the principles that that come from this world. And yet, we try, don't we? We try to fit it into a, a box that we can understand according to principles that that we can control. We clutter up the ministry with an awful lot of stuff, don't we? With With committees and with Uh, demographic studies and and with psychoanalysis and with uh, narrowly targeted messages to this generation or that generation. Uh, We spend so much time uh, coming up with one and three and five and ten year plans and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that any of those things in and of themselves is wrong or bad, but they do often distract from the actual mission and ministry of the church, don't they? If you spend so much time thinking about what are we going to do to make the kingdom of God grow, it takes your mind off of, your sight off of what actually makes the kingdom of God grow. Remember, in the New Testament, when Jesus sent out his apostles, he did not say, count the sheep. He did not say, organize the sheep. He did not say, psychoanalyze the sheep. He didn't say, specifically target the message to this generation or that generation of sheep. He simply said, feed my sheep. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he didn't tell his disciples to go out and and recruit volunteers to be workers in the church. He said, go and gather my disciples as if Jesus already knew who they were. And he did. He said, go out and gather my disciples, and these are the seeds that you're going to use. You're going to use the sacrament of baptism. You're going to use the word of absolution. You're going to use Holy Communion. And in that way, you're going to gather my chosen ones into my flock. That's how we're going to do it. Because through those means, and only those means, that's how Jesus has promised to deliver himself. To sinners like us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how Jesus is delivered to sinners. Now, speaking of Jesus, where is He in all of this? Well, one of the things we learned in our class about parables is that you have to distinguish between the interpretation of the parable itself and the application of it. These parables are not about Jesus, not directly. They are about how the kingdom of God grows. But it's interesting. Doesn't it seem like Jesus' own life and ministry fit this template of these parables? That they, they, his life fits this paradigm. Doesn't it seem like Jesus' mission was was kind of a stealth mission on this earth? He was invisible to to most of the people around him. God, the Father, invisibly through the power of the Holy Spirit, sowed Jesus into the womb of the Virgin Mary. Who would have thought? In Bethlehem of all places. And then from Bethlehem, the family had to flee to Egypt to escape Herod's murderous rage. And then when they came back, they grew up on the wrong side of the tracks in the backwoods town of Nazareth. Jesus grew up as the son of a carpenter. And yet Jesus grew. The Gospels say he grew before God and men. What did he grow into? He grew into the perfect person. He grew into the person that God demanded us to be. He was the perfect father and mother, the perfect son and daughter, the perfect husband and wife, the perfect church member and the perfect pastor because he obeyed all of God's law down to the smallest letter. And then even though he didn't have any sin or guilt of his own to answer for, much less pay for, he shouldered our sin and our guilt, and the sin and guilt of the world, and he hauled to the cross where God his Father th- drew the sickle and harvested him as the ransom price for the sin and the guilt of the world. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, in which God declared that he had accepted Jesus' payment price, that the world is now justified, that heaven is now open to all. But think about all those things, how invisible they were to most of the people around Jesus. Think about little 10-year-old, 11-year-old Jesus growing up in Nazareth. How many of his friends do you think knew that, that he wasn't just an especially good boy and obedient to his parents, but he was the perfect boy? How many of, of his friends do you think were cheering him on, well done, Jesus, thank you for being the perfect boy because I haven't. How, how many times do you think that happened? Or think about the, the scene around Jesus' cross. There were tons of people there witnessing his crucifixion. But how many people really understood, here is the Son of God bleeding and dying for my sins? How many of them really understood that? Think about his resurrection. Who saw his resurrection? No one. No one saw Jesus rise from the dead. You see, invisible to the human eye. A very stealthy mission that Jesus carried out and he did it all by himself. Like that seed that grew by itself, Jesus did it all by himself without any human intervention. He didn't need help from any one of us to win our salvation. And what's the result of that? Well, is the result anything less than what we see in that parable of the mustard seed? That, that what started out as, as tiny, as inconsequential, as a a baby born to a peasant in the town of Bethlehem, Jesus has now grown into the biggest religion in the world. Christianity remains the biggest religion in the world with over 2 billion, I believe, 2.3 billion members. Jesus' name is known to the ends of the earth. And if you doubt that, go to a bar on a Friday or Saturday night, you'll hear his name thrown around like crazy. The book that was written about Jesus is the annual, the the perennial best-seller in the world. All from nothing. From, as their Old Testament lesson said, a a sprig of a cedar tree. It came from nothing, and yet now, now the Christian church is the most vast organization in the world, and people from all races and languages and nations flock to it because they are drawn like a magnet to the thing that only Jesus can give, his atoning death. And his victorious resurrection. Now, what does that have to do with you? It means that you don't have to agonize over your sins anymore. It means that you don't have to try to find ways to numb the guilt that lives in your heart. It means that even though you may think you're stuck in a rut of some habitual sin that you could never get out of, you can Because Christ has conquered your sin for you. He took it to the cross and wiped it away once and for all. It also means that you don't have to spend your entire life striving after, grasping after some form of contentment and joy in this world. Because as you do that, and and we all come to this realization sooner or later, the actual times of joy and happiness that we can find in this world, are so rare. There's always something that goes wrong with them. And they're always tainted by sin. Nothing is ever perfect in this world. Nothing ever lasts. No vacation. No, no cool new car. Uh, no job achievement. There's always something more. It's never, it's never enough, is it? But you don't have to look for that anymore because in Christ we have so much more. We have an eternity of more. We have, a look, we have to look forward to a new heavens and a new earth where babies don't cry, much less die, where old people are not, not old, where there is no such thing as sadness or sorrow or pain. Those are the things we have to look forward to. Those are the, the gifts, the eternal riches that Christ has won for us. And, and the amazing thing is that he wraps those up in such hum, humble and, and earthly things. He puts those eternal riches in... Regular old tap water he he proclaims that message through a regular old sinner he puts the the wealth of everything he purchased on the cross in in bread that can rot and, and wine that can go bad and and they don't seem like much, do they those means of grace it, it, it seems like what the sower would see right the the sower that that puts what appears to be a a dead seed into into dead ground, and and yet it grows. It grows all by itself without any human intervention. And and what Jesus is describing there is not that the ground produces a fruit in the sense that so you plant the word, you you preach the gospel, and then it's up to that person to cause it to grow. That, That can't happen. That will never happen. What he's saying is this is what the ministry looks like. This is what we do in our church. This is what it looks like. Taking something dead, like a handful of water, a little bit of bread, and a little bit of wine, or some incoherent sermon spoken by a fellow sinner. And you plant it, and it doesn't look like much. It looks like something dead, and and you plant it on a sinful heart. looks dead. And it grows. It grows. It matures all the way up to the harvest. It's a mystery. It's invisible, but it's majestic. And the book of Revelation makes clear that the harvest that he's talking about here is the harvest that will take place at the end of the age. And on that day, we will see how powerful the gospel has been throughout the world when when multitudes that no one can count are harvested are taken to heaven. Not just our little group here, but billions of believers throughout time and throughout the world. It will be amazing. It will be incredible to see the, the majestic, the mighty tree that came from that tiny little seed of the gospel about Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about the harvest now, though. Don't, we can't get too caught up in worrying about numbers, in worrying about numerical visible growth. That's not the point. The time, is, the time for the harvest is not now. The time now is to sow the seed, to continue sowing the seed. That's what's there in this parable. The the mighty tree. We don't just have to wait for the harvest. We have benefits of, of finding shelter in the mighty tree of the church even today, don't we? That's why people come flocking to it. Think of your baptism. Think of your baptism like a mighty oak testifying to the fact that you are a child of God no matter what your own conscience or the world out there says, you are a child of God and not even the devil himself can chop that down. Think of the words of absolution that you heard here. No one can deny that. That's a lofty elm that not even the, the fiercest storm of guilt can tip over. Think of Holy Communion, especially as we're getting older. Think of Holy Communion as a giant redwood that contains the promise from Jesus himself that just as he rose from the dead, so will you. And nothing can shake that promise. Nothing at all. Not even death itself. That's what's in this parable, these parables. Did you notice anything missing from these parables? Something that again, I hate to say it, but something that sometimes appears even on our own Wells Connections, something that is very widespread in the church today, panic. Don't you hear about a lot of panic in the church today? We're shrinking. The United States of America is no longer the Christian nation it once was. Well, that's debatable whether it ever was a Christian nation. The the crisis, that if we don't grow, we're going to die. Do you sense any of that here in Jesus' parables? Do you, do you hear him fretting over whether that seed he planted will grow? Do you, do you see him sitting with a lawn chair, just sitting there watching that patch of dirt, hoping and praying that it grows? Do you, do you sense any of that panic? Do you, do you sense him telling his disciples, Listen. These future generations, they're going to be crazy. There's going to be this millennial generation that doesn't make any sense to anyone. And you're going to have to change the message. You're going to have to genetically modify the gospel so that it, it applies to them. You're going to have to make it more flashy. You're going to have to dress in skinny jeans and play a guitar and have a smoke machine. You have to do all. Do you sense any of that from Jesus? Do you sense any sense of crisis or panic at all over the ministry of the church? Or do you see just the opposite? A calm, quiet, confident faith that the seed will do what the Lord wants the seed to do. Just as we confess in our explanation of uh, the second petition, uh, third petition, thy kingdom come, Luther leads us to confess, certainly the kingdom of God comes even without our prayer. The kingdom of God comes. It's going to come. It is coming. It comes because it comes with Jesus. Isn't that remarkable how, how Jesus was just very straightforward? He would show up at a town and he would say, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God has arrived. Because the kingdom of God comes with Jesus and wherever Jesus is, there you have the kingdom, whether you can see it or not, whether you can sense it or not. So, wherever the gospel is purely proclaimed, wherever his sacraments are administered in line with his command, there is the kingdom of God. It might be invisible to many, but it's incredible in the eyes of the Lord himself. Contrarianism is a school of thought that is is used primarily in investing and in science and in journalism. And it's this idea that if you see the whole world going one way, maybe the right way to go is the other way. Maybe the majority opinion is not right. And and maybe this is just my opinion, but I think that school of thought has been vindicated over the past few weeks regarding how we dealt with the whole pandemic over the year, that maybe the way the world was going was, was actually the wrong way. But what Jesus is teaching us in these parables is that we are supposed to be contrarian, at least when it comes to understanding and interpreting his parables. You see, whenever Jesus told a parable, he was dealing with the majority opinion, with a prevailing view. And the prevailing view of the kingdom of God, both in Jesus' day and today, is that if the kingdom of God is going to grow and if it's going to work in this world, it's up to us to do it and... It better end up being a mighty visible thing that, that, that the whole world can see. And Jesus takes us in just the opposite direction, doesn't he? It's going to be invisible when it grows. And, and you and I have nothing really to do with it other than sowing the tiny little inconsequential seed of the gospel. But still, there's a temptation to think that we do have a role, that... That we can build it into something that is visible and powerful and magnificent in this world but just whenever you're thinking about that remember the rhyme mary mary quite contrary how does your garden grow how does the kingdom of god grow i have no idea that's the wrong question to be asking anyway jesus point in this parables is the kingdom of god grows Wherever the gospel seed is sown, it will grow. Don't worry about how it grows. That's above your pay scale anyway. The kingdom of God may grow contrary to human reason and outside of our sight, but it grows. It grows invisibly and it grows incredibly and you have Jesus' word on it. Amen.